Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It is that time again. We are back for another week. This is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, boys and girls, we're going to talk about where do I fit in this game. And this episode this week was inspired by one of you listeners that was kind enough to take time out of their day to get on my calendar. They pulled the trigger. They weren't scared. They they knew better that I wasn't going to try to sell them anything. And they took me up on my free, absolutely free, absolutely no obligation offer to get on the phone with me and help them get unstuck. And this person was kind enough to reach out and we had a great conversation. It was actually this morning, had a great conversation about uh, where he's at and what he's trying to accomplish and, and whatnot. And I thought this would make a topic for a great conversation because I think that the situation that he's in, his uh, scenario is something that's shared by a lot of you that are listening to the show right now. So I thought that I would go ahead and dive in and talk about that. And really it comes down to where do you fit in this game? And I know you're starting out and you're trying to decide that you know that you want to build the passive income. You know that the whole idea here is to get out of the rat race. And you know that you probably don't even have to quit your job if you like your job, right? You can still do what you want to do, but you want to have that financial independence. You want to make that difference so that you're not depending on the job so that, you know, you could kind of look that, uh, that old boss in the face and say, Hey, you know, it's been fun, but not that fun. Have a nice day. Gotta go right. Bye-bye. Gotta go do something different. Try new things, experience life, travel the world, do what you want to do. And this rings true to Jill and I right now, actually, we're in the process. We bought the RV and we're having worked under the RV and getting it customized the way we want it. And we're trying to start to planning our itinerary, which by the way, is going to be going up the East coast. And, and I talk to people, and by the way, if you haven't ever taken advantage of this, which I know a ton of you have not get over to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler, A S K Tyler. And that will give you an opportunity to book some time on my calendar. Let's get on the phone and let's have a conversation. It's absolutely free. No, I'm not going to try to pitch you on something that you don't need or anything like that. Instead, we're going to have a great conversation and you get to talk about whatever topic you want. We keep it at about a half an hour or so. And um, you tell me what where you're at and how I can help and what things you need. And we go from there. And in this case, this gentleman was just trying to kind of figure out He's in college and he's in an advanced degree and he's trying to figure out where he kind of fits into the pool and he's out driving for dollars and maybe some folks for them, that maybe means they're out wholesaling or they're going to think about flipping houses and they probably come to the realization after listening to me yammer on for a couple of years now in this podcast that that's probably not going to work out for them as they plan. So maybe they're looking at plan B. That's great, Tyler. You know, you can do this because you were born with a silver spoon in your, your, your mouth and mommy and daddy gave you all your money, which we all know if you know me is not true. I actually had to earn what I got. I had to go out and bust my ass and get uncomfortable and do things uh, the hard way to learn the easy way to do things. And that's why one of the reasons I started doing this show. So that said, I had asked myself at some point, where do I fit in this game? And recently before Jill and I decided to actually absolutely go on the road full time in an RV, we had to ask ourselves that question. Does our role now in the company change, Right. Where do we fit into this game? What what do we do? Jill retired from her job a while back. And uh, what does that mean for her? Where does she fit into the company? What's How does she work into a deal? And how is she to be compensated? Yes, she's my wife, but she still has to factor into the compensation model, right? I mean, she's not going to stick around very long if she doesn't get a paycheck. So she's got to figure out where she fits into a deal, what she's good at, 
And then how do we monetize that position? How do we structure something that makes sense for her so that she can have her paycheck, I can have mine, the business continues to grow, and off you go. And many of you are in the same position, the same quandary. It's like, well, guys, I may be good at one thing, but I'm not good at anything else, and, and this is true for me too. There's a lot of stuff about real estate game that, number one, that I don't know. And there's a lot of things that if I do know them, it doesn't mean I'm good at them. And worse, it means that I probably don't like it. Because let's be honest, guys, nobody likes doing things that they're bad at. Okay, There's a lot of things that I'm just terrible at. Right? I just don't like certain parts of the real estate game. For example, I'm not too much for swinging a hammer. I like it for a couple hours. Or I could go work like a half a day on a job site and I'd be okay with it. I like doing things like you know drywall mud or maybe I'll shoot a little texture and you know, I like the real light stuff, but you're not going to see me. I've done my rehab days where I've been, you know, ankle deep in drywall mud and up to my neck and wire and drywall insulation. That's just not my idea of a good time. So that's something that you're not going to get me to do in a deal. No way. Don't want any part of it. Frankly, I avoid deals that have heavy rehab just because it's very challenging to find dependable contractors. So then you have to ask yourself, where do you fit in the game, Tyler? Well, where I fit into the game has changed many times through the years I've been doing this. And I can tell you in the beginning, I was the game. Where did I fit in the game? The answer was yes, everywhere. I had to fit everywhere. Why? Because I didn't have any money. I didn't have any credit. And I had to learn how to do stuff. I didn't know the difference between a good contractor and a bad one. I didn't even know what to ask them. I didn't know how to hire a property manager. I didn't know how to hang a, a, a piece of sheetrock or fix anything electrical or any of that. So for me to be able to learn I don't recommend you try this at home, boys and girls, but for me to be able to learn what to expect from a contractor, I took a, uh, about a year or so and I learned how to do a lot of that work. I went to all the Home Depot classes. And don't underestimate these. Home Depot, Lowe's, a lot of hardware stores now are starting to do it. They offer you free education on how to do some of the stuff. Now, that said, I don't want you out there drywalling a house because I don't think that's the highest and best use of your time. Amanda Young, you heard her on the podcast a while ago. I get on her about it doing a lot of that work herself. She's too smart for that. She doesn't need to be doing that. She should be out getting more deals, but that's a whole other story. I love her to death, but I have a lot of friends that do a lot of the work themselves, and it slows down the amount of deals that they can do, and it takes them longer to get to where they want to be. It takes them longer to hit their goals because they're spending way too much time swinging a hammer. Now, I can tell you, Amanda knows her, knows her stuff. She's really good at this stuff, but that doesn't mean that that's the highest and best use of her time. Okay, Same with me. I'm really good at doing electrical and drywall and things like that, but not what I'm best at, right? So it's not the best of use of my time. So you may be fitting and you may be coming into the space new and trying to figure out where do you fit. So I will say this, if you are somebody that comes from that field, if you have that background, let's say you're a contractor right now, maybe you're hanging sheetrock or your electrician or a plumber or whatever, that's a marketable skill. And that can go a long way in a deal, let me tell you, because if you come to me and you're you're a general contractor and you want to do a deal together and I think that and I find out that you're a good general contractor, well, we're going to have a conversation because <laughs> it's hard to find a good general contractor, especially one that can be held accountable because they're partner in this deal with me. You see how that works? For me, that that means that he's going to have to be or she is going to have to be accountable. One of the reasons why Paige and I made such a great partnership is that Paige has Paige is a licensed general contractor. She worked as a contractor for many years. She owned the company and oversaw the crews and used to build apartments and townhouses and all this other stuff, right? So having that wealth of knowledge in the partnership was a huge advantage to me. 
So capitalize on that. That's one of the things, one of the many things that Paige brought to the deal as a partner is her renovation experience, her contractor's experience. It's a lot different swinging the hammer than it is owning the company as a contractor. A whole different ball of wax. So the beauty is, is that although I was more of the swinging the hammer, twisting the wires and doing the sheetrock person, she was more of the big picture, could, you know, know what things should cost and know what to expect and how things are supposed to look and how things are supposed to go. Very, very good at the planning and all these different things rolled in and became a great advantage to us. So think about the things, the skills that you have. Now, the gentleman I was talking to is, it was going to college. He's in college. He's in his uh, advanced degree, getting his, heading towards his uh, PhD. So I asked him, I said, you know, are you, how are you in research? And he said, well, geez, great. Cause he just got done doing research papers, right? That's what college students do. They're always researching things. Well, great. Here's the deal. I like to research, but I'm an ex-cop, so I go way down in the weeds. I go so deep in the weeds that I won't come out for weeks at an end. Drives my wife crazy because I will overanalyze everything. I think I inherited that from my mother. Bottom line is this. Although I'm good at analyzing, it's maybe not the best thing for me specifically to do, but being good at it helps me oversee somebody else's work, right? So in that case, I have people on my team that are really good and very efficient, keyword being efficient, at analyzing deals. So what I will do is I put them out to be like the first line. They go out and separate the wheat from the chaff, right? The good from the bad. If I sat to sit there and analyze every deal, I'm not going to have a time to do anything, including this podcast. So I have people that I partner with uh, to go and help me in the, with that process because they're either better at it or more efficient or both. That is a huge advantage. So if you're the type of person that could be found to be very good at analyzing deals, then great. Leverage that skill. And you might think to yourself, well, there's a lot to learn, Tyler. You're right. There is. There's a lot to learn about the contracting or the rehab piece. There's a lot to learn about the financing piece. There's a lot to learn about renting apartments and managing property. There's a lot to learn about every aspect of this business. And don't think that you need to know it all before you get started, before you first write that first offer. Instead, Maybe you partner up with people that have those skills, okay? Um, I was talking about Amanda a minute ago. She has a partner that is a realtor that helps her with other tasks that relate to selling the properties and finding the properties. She also uh, shares in the funding of the deals. So there's many different facets that uh, her partner has brings to the table, which makes it easier for Amanda to scale. Could she do it on her own? Absolutely, she could do it on her own. However, she chooses to scale her business faster, therefore, by bringing a partner in and she helps grow her, grow her business. I have done exactly the same thing. Now, you won't catch me out driving for dollars unless I'm just bored or I'm out doing it for entertainment purposes because I have people out there in the field that are doing that for me and I like to have everybody on commission, right? I make sure that anybody that brings value to the table is compensated. I always make sure of doing that. We're not going to get into the weeds on how exactly that works out because it, it differs based on each individual situation, but we always make sure that everybody eats, right? You always make sure everybody eats. So then again, if you're the person that has a lot of free time, for example, but you don't have any money, then what can you donate your time in the equation of a deal? What can you do? What can you bring to the deal that involves time? If that's the commodity, because don't undersell yourself for the fact that time is not a commodity. It's absolutely a commodity. Okay. It's such a commodity that it's the big driving force of why it was so important for us to escape the rat race to be able to go live out our dreams. You know, time, I wanted to replace myself in the equation no matter what we're doing 
That's what's enabled us to buy the RV and go out and, and travel across the country. That's what has made the cash flow roadshow a reality is the fact that we were always focused on what can we do to better leverage our time? What can we do? What skills do we have that we can get done faster and other people can maybe bring their skills to the table. So together as a group, we all prosper, right? We all succeed. Now we have a little inner circle group, a couple of us that they were people that were part of the cash flow guys, uh, the mailbox money mastermind. They've stayed on and we have our own little inner circle group where we meet uh, every couple times a month and we on zoom and we kind of brainstorm and, and spitball each other's ideas. And we talk about marketing, all kinds of good stuff that has proved very beneficial both to the people in it, but also to Jill and I, because it gives us a sounding board as well for our ideas. Some of mine, of course, are cockamamie, but every once in a while, um, I will throw out an idea and they will shoot it down. But other times they'll throw out an idea and they will help me make it better. Right? That's the beauty of a mastermind. So here's the thing. If you can't afford to be part of a mastermind, start your own. It's that easy. You can have a group of people. I suggest you keep it small that meet every so often and talk about what's going on in your businesses, help you guys motivate each other. Right? I mean, there's masterminds out there that cost a hundred grand to be part of. And you think, oh, that's crazy, Tyler. Well, not necessarily. Because think about the people that can afford to be there that don't see a hundred thousand as a lot of money. I would say the content in that mastermind is pretty high level. Therefore, there's a lot of value there to the right people, but to a person that a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, then there's probably not much value in that mastermind for them because they're talking on a different level. Does that make sense? That said, some people are really good at raising money. So maybe one person goes out and raises the money. For example, that's one of the skills that I'm best at. I'm really good at raising money, partially because I'm also real good at deal analysis, and I can tell you the deals that'll win and the deals that'll lose. And because people know I'm very strict and very diligent in my underwriting to make sure that everything goes the way it's supposed to go, and I make sure I'm very I'm highly scrutinizing of the people in my team and the people on my team, I should say, and when we do a deal, I only work with the best people. I do not work with people that are not the best. And that doesn't necessarily mean they've been doing it for 100 years. That just means they're the best. Maybe it's because they're the most ethical. Maybe they're the most willing to, be, to learn or be trainable or coachable. That's how I put people on my team. And that's how I've been able to build the team that I have is that very way. Now, my skill, my special skill is raising money. Okay. So when it comes to a deal, putting a deal together or an opportunity, I'm the guy that's going to usually bring the capital. Hence the cash flow guy, right? I'm the guy that will bring the capital to the deal in a lot of cases. Now, my my investors, I don't have hundreds and thousands of investors running around, but I've got a very tight group of investors that invest in my deals religiously because they found that I'm dependable and loyal and I make the money and I'm very transparent. I don't need to scale that. I've tried investing money in other people's deals and my investors' money in other people's deals, and it doesn't work out the same way because the people really, really trust me and they want me to have a bigger control piece than what I've been able to find in other people's deals. That said, there's people out there that their job is basically all they do is raise money for other people's deals. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a great way to do business. It hasn't necessarily worked out the greatest for me. And that's probably because I'm so strict and diligent that it's hard for me to find opportunities that I can get behind 100% and therefore put my stamp of approval on. Um, I've looked at lots of opportunities. I've pitched several of them. And then the more I pitch them, I start thinking to myself, you know, I'm not 100% sold on this idea, so maybe I won't do this. Not to say I won't do it again in the future. It's just not my ideal. I would rather be the person raising the money for a deal that's brought in by somebody on my team. 
because that way I have a better source of control, a better sense of control rather of the deal. And I think I can, I can feel more confident about it when I can feel more confident about it. My investors are going to be confident and we'll just have a better deal all the way around. Okay. Maybe raising money is not your gig. Okay. And for example, like Paige and I are partners and Paige is fully capable of raising money just like I am, but I have a bigger network because of the podcast. So for me, it made more sense to partner with Paige. I raise the money and Paige goes out and works the relationships with the asset managers and whatnot, and the people that own the notes. And then she will do the, the workouts and whatnot on the notes. So that balances very well, right? She likes, she's details and all that good stuff. I'm more of a spaghetti on the wall kind of guy. So for me, it made sense to be the guy that raises money for her. It made sense to bring me aboard to help her raise money from time to time. Again, she's perfectly capable of doing it on her own, but she can grow faster by having money raisers working with her, right? Makes total sense. That said, acquisitions manager is another role. Maybe you like driving for dollars and you just like being out talking to people. And I can tell you that negotiating isn't that hard when you got a big bankroll behind you. When you got a, a group of a small organization, which you are the one doing the acquisitions and you know you are confident in the abilities of the people that you surrounded yourself with, you can get a lot of stuff done. You know, I've tried negotiating and I've been successful, but not easily when I've got empty pockets. And sometimes the sellers ask tough questions and I don't want to lie to them. But then again, it's hard to negotiate when you've got no money in your pockets. I get it, right? It's very uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. But imagine if you put together a small group of like-minded people and maybe you didn't bring all the money or maybe you didn't bring any of the money, but maybe you had some backers. Maybe you found people that aren't necessarily good at negotiating or not comfortable with it. And you took on that role as being the acquisitions manager. It might be a little daunting to you right now, but at the same time, Think about it this way. If your back pocket was full of Benjamins and you get a million dollars in capital sitting on the sidelines to get ready to invest, you would probably be a little bit more confident, would you not? I am, I can tell you that. So when I'm out negotiating, I don't have to worry about I don't have the money because I'm always raising money. I'm always looking for opportunity and I'm always raising money. People ask me, Tyler, what should I do first? Should I raise the money or find the deal? The answer is yes. And by yes, I mean do both. Absolutely do both. Maybe you're a person that really enjoys the due diligence. Maybe you just like digging. You know, one of those people like a grammar Nazi, a grammar Nazi is ideal for researching because you love to find things wrong with people. <laughs> you love finding errors of others, right? My CPA is great at this. He's an amazing man with numbers and he's one of those people. He's a grammar police guy, right? So Charles Shapiro, he loves finding errors and then letting people know. It's kind of an annoying habit, granted, but when he's your tax guy, that's kind of cool because that means he has to hold himself to a higher standard. So he is very, very detail oriented in making sure that all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted and that the books balance. That's his job. So I want that type of personality as my CPA, somebody that, and for that matter, my bookkeeper as well should share those same traits, be very, very detail oriented. Definitely the opposite of me. Now who oversees that arm of the business would be the, the queen of details. That would be, my wife, Jill Chef, she is the queen of details. I am the antithesis of that. Not just because I'm a guy, but because I'm not good at details, right? That's just never been my thing. I don't really have to, it doesn't have to be my thing because I'm married to Jill and I know that I trust her emphatically and she's got the details handled. So what does she do is she manages the getting the taxes prepared and the bookkeeping done. She oversees the bookkeeper and works with the CPA to make sure everything's situated and it works out really well that way. So for her, 
It's a natural role. She jumps. She was able to walk right into the business, falls right into that role. It fits her perfectly. It's what she enjoys doing. She thrives off of organization. Um, she's very good at organization. She's a high level of integrity. It just, it's just a, it's an amazing fit for her. So it seemed a natural role for her. Me, I like talking to people and I like shaking hands. I like speaking. I like being out there acting a fool. So raising the money for me was a perfect fit. So as you see, those two things work out really well together. Maybe another role you could do is maybe you're a marketer. Maybe you're really good at sales and marketing. Maybe you're good at getting the word out there. Now, you might be thinking that's great for raising money. That's not necessarily what I mean because you need a marketing skills for much more than raising money. Raising money really shouldn't be done by advertising anyway. I mean, you can, but it becomes sketchy and you got to make sure you follow the laws and the regulations. But more importantly than raising money, maybe your marketing is used to help the asset manager, the acquisitions manager rather, find opportunity because they can be great negotiators. They can be great in the field, knocking on doors and doing whatever, but how much greater could they be if they had pre-qualified leads to go talk to? If they had sellers that had situations that the acquisitions manager can now go talk to. See, you're, you're helping as a marketer, you're helping that aspect of the business go out and do their job. So think about as the marketer, how many of these pieces you could help, right? You could help the money raiser by maybe managing the social media and putting the word out there of what you guys have done in the past, right? It's a, it's the, the, the way of attracting people, right? You're living, leading by example. It would help being the marketer could help the acquisitions manager being the marketer could help the property manager by finding that are qualified tenants or at least doing the advertising or the marketing to find those qualified tenants. Maybe the marketer could help the note buyer find more, more um, asset managers that have notes to sell or more IRA holders that have accounts or notes they want to sell all kinds of different ways. Maybe the marketer markets to title companies to get lists or things like this. So start thinking outside the box, think about what skills you have and how you can use them to infuse yourself into the deal. If you've got that rehab background, if you're good at rehabbing and you got a backbone, you kind of, you got a tough exterior, you can be soft and gooey inside like me. It's okay. I got a tough interior exterior, but inside I'm sweet as a puppy dog. I swear to God, but you, and you guys are thinking, no, he's not. He's just a mean, bald, angry man. No, I'm not. I'm not angry at all. Not one bit. Anyway, I digress. If you're good at rehab and you think you can handle dealing with contractors, then maybe that's a great fit for you. And I can tell you, you anybody wants to manage one of my rehabs and has the, the who spot to do it, knock yourself out. Because when we buy a building or something and, and we have to do rehab, that is my least favorite part of the job. I loathe that part of the job. Absolutely loathe that part of the job. It is like nails on a chalkboard 24-7 to me makes me want to like jump off a bridge. I can't stand it. Don't like any part of it. So that said, that is something that any team could probably use a lot of. Okay, You don't necessarily even have to be a licensed contractor to do this. You could do this in an employee role. You could do this as a partner role. Hey, you know, I'm good at contracting or I used to be a contractor or my, I don't know, my dad was a contractor or, or I'm just a good manager. Let me manage the rehab in exchange for a piece of the deal. So you could see any one of these roles, folks, you could exchange for some equity in the deal, some, a piece of the profits. What that piece is really depends on what your role is and more importantly, what the perceived value of what you're bringing to the table is. And that's what you're really going to have to get good at zoning in on. You know, if you're just the person that goes out and, you know, you raise hundred bucks for the deal. Well, that's fine. And Danny, it's a hundred bucks. We're not going to give you 10% of the company 
because you raised a hundred bucks for the deal. Or if you hang the sheetrock, you get to be a partner. You're going to have to reach it, dig a little deeper now. But, and then of course that depends on who your partners are. However, when you will find is that nobody knows it all. There is not one person on the planet that is an expert in all things. That's for sure. I am nowhere near an expert on most things, but there's some things I'm really good at. So the value, my value is really, really good on a few things, right? I'm really good at raising money. I'm really good at sales and marketing and closing and things like that. I don't, rehab is not my thing. I get, I lose patience. I get done. I'm done with it. I want to walk away. So ask yourself this question, ladies and gentlemen, when you want to know where you fit in the game, first think about what you've already done and what you're good at. And I understand that you might want to add in there. You might want to be trying to say, well, I want to make sure that I like it too. Well, guys, it's your first deal. Girls, it's your first deal. You may have to do something that you hate starting out to get your foot in the door. Get yourself some equity. Get some of that cash flow coming in every month. Then you can focus on things that you like doing. But for now, focus on what you're good at or what you're naturally good at. Are you a leader or a follower? Ask yourself that. And that said, how do you fit into the deal? Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you found value in this episode. I will be back next week, and I've got some new stuff coming for you. I think you're going to be blown away with some of the stuff that Jill and I are working on. We've got all kinds of good education coming your way. Again, if you haven't been on my calendar, why haven't you been? Let me help you absolutely for free get unstuck. People did that for me in the beginning, and it made a huge difference in my life and my ability to get out of the rat race. So please let me help you. Go to CashflowGuys.com forward slash ask Tyler and I'd be happy to get on the phone with you. Have a great week, folks. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.